everyone, and welcome to the Sompre Health Outcomes Rocket podcast, where we talk with healthcare leaders on the state of the industry, patient engagement, and technology innovation. I'm your host, Rich Prest, and today we're fortunate to be speaking with Chris O'Brien, who's the CEO of AdhereTech, which is one of the early leaders in the smart bottle approach to adherence. Chris has had a long career as both an entrepreneur and investor, so I'm sure you'll have plenty to share with the audience today. Chris, welcome uh, to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Oh, definitely excited to have you on board. Maybe just to get started, um, you can help uh, share our listeners. Um, maybe did you have a dream career when you were growing up? Uh, and maybe what was your path to to where you are today? Yeah, I did have a dream career when I was growing up. I wanted to be a physician, uh, and uh, in particular, an emergency physician. Um, and I realized later it was simply because all of my uh, my skiing accidents and everything else had me spending a lot of time in the ER, <laughs> chainsaw accidents, and so uh, that's kind of doctor I saw most, other than my mother who was a pediatrician. But yeah, but um, but yes, that, that was not to be. Although I ended up in healthcare in the end anyway. Yeah. So so what was your path to, to uh, you took to to where you are today? Well, you know, I started my career as a software developer uh, a long time ago, actually at uh, Bell Labs, when there still was such a thing, mm. and um, ended up uh, coming up there and uh, very quickly moved into uh, startups. I worked for a Macintosh software company, uh, actually in college. And then uh, after school, I just started my first company, despite a complete wow. lack of skills and experience and the knowledge to do that. But, you know, it's the way the young are. And uh it ended up not dying, um, but took seven years instead of uh, the two or three it should have taken to, to get where it needed to get. But it uh, worked out in the end. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, no, it's, uh, kudos to you for having the courage to to do that. So that's uh, it's very cool. Well, thank um, you. And then when you look back over your career, is there an accomplishment that you're perhaps most proud of or you want to share? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know I, I guess uh, I've been part of some really amazing teams and have the privilege of, of building some of those teams. And I think, I think for me, it's um, it's as much about the people that you work with and the impact you have on the world. And yes, we've all had business successes and sold my last company to Hewlett Packard, which was quite an experience. Let me tell you, it took a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that was great. But it's you know, I, I think really the you know the work that we're doing here at AdhereTech and prior to this, I was at a company called Everyday Health, helping to deliver uh, continuing medical education to physicians and educate physicians on the latest news and therapies. And, and I just feel like for, for me in this phase of my career, um, there's so much that needs to change in healthcare in the United mm. States and around the world. And so many incredible therapies that are being developed and yet physicians aren't prescribing them or they are prescribing them and, and patients aren't taking them that there's mm. a lot of really basic things we have to get right. And I, I'm just really pleased to have found a perch at a place like at tech where we can have such direct impact on patients' lives. Very cool. And so looking forward in terms of, you know, if, you, if there's something you wanted to be remembered for in the industry, is it is it it's some part of uh, fixing this uh, crazy messed up system that we have? Or? It is. Yeah. And, you know, I think, um, you know, C. Everett Coop, the uh, former Surgeon General who was Surgeon General when I was a kid, um, had a famous saying, which is that drugs don't work in people that don't take them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's such a tragedy because we live at a time when there's been so much progress uh, in, in drug development and different con- you know ways of treating serious conditions, things like cancer that used to be just, you're the C word and that's it, your life's over. And now it sometimes is the case still sadly, but a lot of times if you can manage to take your meds and stay on therapy, you can live many, many decades afterwards in a very happy life. And yet far more than 50% of patients nonetheless fail to take those meds uh, and end up uh, going into the hospital or worse. It's, it's quite a human tragedy. 
It, it really is. Yeah, I think it's a lot of what motivates us at, at Sompre as well. I think we may use the same uh, Coop, uh, you know, quote because I think it is so uh, so helpful uh, in terms of just framing the the basic problem. And uh, I, I, you know, I, I always think of it as sort of the last mile problem, right? We've gone to all the trouble to you know get the drug approved, to get the doctor to write for the script, and and yet. Uh, so much of uh, that just doesn't end up uh, actually with the patients who need it. So uh, that's exactly right. And you know, it's it's just a, it is you know, it's just a very sad thing. You know, people get diagnosed with a serious condition, they spend eight minutes with the doctor, hopefully get handed off to a nurse educator and mm-hmm. learn a little bit more about it, mm-hmm. and then they're sent home and left to manage their condition on their own. And just it's very very difficult, even for those of us who are relatively healthy, mm-hmm. to remember to take your pills on time, to remember to follow up with your doctor, and and with the healthcare system, despite all the tremendous resources that are there, is just not equipped to manage people in the home. And, and luckily, that is changing in lots and lots of ways across the landscape. But you know, we've got our own little corner of it, which is to help people um, achieve what we call medication success, take their meds uh, as prescribed and on time. And it sounds like a modest goal, but it's one that, uh, when achieved, can have such an incredible impact mm-hmm. on people's lives and their health and, and what they're able to do in, the, in their lives. Yeah, 100%. Um, so just when you sort of step back and think about U.S. healthcare overall, um, is there anything you could think of where you think it's not common knowledge? I think, you know, this is uh, a space where, you know, many people don't understand the complexity looking looking in uh, and uh, kind of curious what you would see as uh, a key factor that people just don't understand. Um, well, I think um, I, I, there's just so many I, that come to mind. I mean, certainly the um, the opaqueness of the drug distribution channel, I think, is a surprise to many. And, you know, um, I've worked with pharmaceutical manufacturers now for the last 10 or 12 years and, mm-hmm. and found them to be almost entirely full of incredibly well-meaning people that went into it to, to really try to help people. And sure, they're businesses and they have to make money, but they take colossal risks on the investments they make to develop drugs or acquire drugs and uh, you could argue about what the price of any given med should be at any given time. And, and there's some incredible egregious examples of um, you know, people raising the price of, uh, well, use any drugs, but drugs that are necessary, generics, and, um, and you know, impact people. And, uh, but obviously, most of the companies don't do that, right, and would never do this sort of thing. So I think just the role that, that, that middlemen can play, PBMs and others, in actually inflating the cost of drugs and even, you know, working against copay cards and things like that that can really help patients is is not well known. And I think, um, you know, I, I think the the other thing that I would say just more close to home that's not well known is is what a role that that a patients can play mm-hmm. in their own health. And when they're when they're supported in the right way, which I know Sampra is focused on as as we are, mm-hmm. um, you know, patient behavior can be changed. It's very, very difficult and it doesn't work every time. Right. But um, it's not the case that someone who just stops taking their meds um, won't start again or can't be helped, especially if you can reach them in that moment in, in near real time, as we call it. And we say the same thing, that last mile in healthcare is a lot longer than a mile. It's uh, And it's the most important part yeah. to helping to reach people you know, where they are. And, and of course, uh, where people are is very culturally and economically driven, like certain people and certain groups of people have not been well-treated you know, historically by society at large or the, the healthcare system. And those are the ones that you know, we've been very focused on uh, helping to reach here at Adhere Tech as well. 
That's oh, awesome. Yeah, I think there's there's often these sort of sweeping generalizations about, you know, people that just aren't going to take their meds. And I, I think that sort of misses the point that, you know, it's not black and white, that there are, uh, if you can help, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20% of the population to improve a little bit, that's making a big difference for those lives. And uh, that's, you know, that's how we eat away at this problem. It's not like there's going to be some silver bullet that fixes it all and in one easy step. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. And, um, you know, we think uh, remote patient monitoring, which is kind of our piece of it, is, is really important, but so is dealing with the economics and I know the way that software does and, and supporting patients in other ways. And it's going to take a village of different solutions, some of which will work for one person and some for another, another person uh, in order to make that all happen. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. Uh, if you did have a magic wand and you could change something about U.S. healthcare overnight, what what do you think that would be? Yeah, the alignment of economic interests with mm. uh, people's health and outcomes, uh, and it is changing in, in 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 ways. Actually, I think that probably could have been a different answer to the earlier question around what mm. people don't know. But value based care is actually really become real in so many parts of the healthcare ecosystem now, especially primary care mm. for the Medicare Advantage uh, population, but starting to happen in oncology and, and, and lots of other areas uh, as well. And it's, you know, it's slow, but it, but but there's been real meaningful progress even in the last three to five years. And COVID, and of course, um, COVID has only accelerated that. Um, so I, I think it would just simply be if people got paid based on the improvements to people's health that they were able to create or support, um, we'd, be, uh, we'd be a happier, healthier society. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Yeah, value-based care may well be one of those ones that uh, suddenly becomes an overnight success, right? Everybody's been uh, <laughs> putting it down and saying nothing's happening, and it's been quietly moving along and I think uh, acquiring more steam, as you say. So it's definitely going to be a, a space to watch, I think. Uh, yeah, maybe. it's a project of many decades for sure, mm-hmm. but um, and a lot of infrastructure has to get built, and I think it's being built uh, right now under our noses without us even seeing it. Yeah. Oh, that's excellent. So are there any, um, you know, when you think about uh, key trends or developments that are going on or regulatory changes, are there any that you're you're watching very closely? Yeah. Um, you know, closer to AdhereTech's world, I think, um, you know, we all have uh, lots of devices with us now, smartwatches and mm. you know, miracle phones that have more computing power than the enormous room-sized computer I used 20 years ago or 25 mm-hmm. years ago in yeah. telecom. Um, and you know, I think what, what people may not know is that, you know, something as simple as an Apple Watch, you know, or it's not as simple, but there's a lot of things that go into this. And a lot of different companies and a lot of innovation had to occur in terms of creating really small, power-efficient cellular modems, for example creating different sensors and systems on a chip that allow the, something this small to actually work for as long as it does. And we, uh, I think, in healthcare are the beneficiary of a lot of these trends. Um, at AdhereTech, uh, we develop smart devices that help keep people uh, to, on medications longer. Here's an example. is one of our smart bottles. Mm. And um, the way that it works is it has sensors. We know when it's opened. You see there's lights and chimes that go off to help a patient remind them of their dose. But there's also a cell modem and a battery um, that mm. was originally intended for other purposes. So we're uh, constantly connected to our backend uh, cloud platform and helping us to remotely monitor patients around their medication behavior. And all of this has really only become technically possible in the last few years, really driven by lots of other trends in consumer electronics with startup companies like ours, the beneficiary now, you know, we couldn't have built something like this five years ago. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, it's um, 
yeah, really just remarkable what what's been uh, done with this technology that that we have now so accessible to us, and and I think will continue to amaze us in uh, in future years how uh, how people keep uh, coming up with new innovations. Uh, so yeah. Absolutely. And and also, as you say, it, it's an amazing how it, it improves the economics and just think about, it. I think VR was another one, right, where, you know, the advances in cell phone technology brought down the price of VR tremendously. So, yeah, uh, amazing how, uh, how these things work. So when you think about, I mean, you've had a lot of experience with trying to bring in uh, innovations uh, in various markets. So what, what have you found are some of the, the key challenges to uh, introducing innovation in the healthcare market and uh, and what do you see as some of the key lessons? Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's, uh, I think, similar to, but a little different than, than just the general challenge of innovation uh, introduction in that, um, you know, there's a, a really great book in technology marketing called Crossing the Chasm that was written, mm. I don't know, probably 80s, early 90s. Yeah, and definitely. it's all about how early companies can find that, you know, a few early adopters who are willing to take their initial product, which is unfinished and doesn't really solve the whole job. And, uh, there's the phrase completing the product. They're willing to take this product that's got a good core and do everything else around it that mm -hmm. almost everyone else won't. And uh, you sort of believe in the beginning that that's that you're going to find lots of people like that. And they're very hard to find anywhere, but especially in healthcare. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, especially where the economics uh, are fee for service or just not aligned with with outcomes, right? Um, because the promise of remote patient monitoring technologies of various kinds is actually knowing what's going on with the patient and in the home. And if you're in a fee for service model, you might like that as a person, as a physician, to be able to have time for that, but you don't have economics for that, um, right. right? Whereas in a, um, if you're in a uh, Medicare Advantage, uh, you know value-based care setting, you do have economics for that because you're on the hook for the health of that mm, patient mm -hmm. overall. Um, and if you're in the right kind of specialty pharmacy, you are also have uh, economics for that because you're supported by the either the manufacturer and or the, the, the payers and the PBMs to help keep people on therapy longer. Uh, and so I, I think we see that places where those economic conditions have been created there's there's just actual behavior change from some very, very large healthcare mm. organizations. And that allows innovation to be adopted. But um, but without without those incentives being there, it's uh, of course much more challenging. Yeah. So you know, one one challenge is to find those those visionaries, which are probably going to be less than five percent of a total addressable market, and then uh, to find them in a setting where there's actually possibility for them to to adopt your technology and, and test. That's right. Them. Um, yeah. You know, in, in healthcare, I think there've been so many promising technologies to just have failed to be adopted um, either for lack of those early adopters but but even more commonly when you find those early adopters you then still have to get patients to use them and, mm -hmm. and it's challenging you just think about all those apps out there uh, that people can use to track medications or track their steps and their lifestyle change and change their lifestyle and, and of course patients may download them um, they may register they may not um, I'm a person who spent the majority of my adult life trying to get people to click on things and download things and fill out registration forms. And, you know, it, it's really hard to do. And even once you do it, it's, they often don't. And at Adhere Tech, really, um, you know, part of what the genius that the founders had here was um, if you can use a pill bottle, you can be in the Adhere Tech program. You just use our pill bottle like a pill bottle. Um, don't need to have an internet connection at home. Don't need a smartwatch. Don't need a smartphone. Nothing. Uh, and it's just really, really important because, uh, you know, you, everybody thinks, oh, everybody has a, has a smartphone now. And it's, it's not true. And even if you do have one, you may not know how to use it or how to sync Bluetooth devices and all the rest of it. And so 
We just think from a reaching every patient where they are, no matter what their economic straits, no matter what their housing situation is. We have homeless people that are using our, our bottle, uh, charging it like they do uh, just at, at walk-up access points, et cetera. Uh, it's just really, really criti critical from a health equity perspective to not assume very much at all about what kind of digital infrastructure may be around a patient. Yeah, yeah. What, and and Ahitech's really, you know, the founders got in very early with this technology and and probably to your point, uh, earlier point, had probably had some challenges with where they were on the cost curve with uh, with this. It, you know, as you sort of think about the the future for Ahitech, what are, what are some of the things you're excited about in terms of uh, product development and, and where do you see the sort of the, the most market opportunity? Yeah. Well, today, InhereTech uh, largely works with pharmaceutical manufacturers uh, that make specialty medications. So, yeah. you know, generally the more expensive uh, medications. And, and the reason that's important is, is simply because they have the money that they can use to help support patients. Um, yeah. It's certainly not the only funding model we could use. Um, we could work with payers, as uh, Sopra does, and, as well, and we, we certainly intend to do that uh, over time. But it's, it's a great way to get started because... Uh, it, it's relatively easy for a small company to go out and get a you know several thousand patient program going, and that lets us generate real data about the mm -hmm. kind of impact we can have on on patients uh, and their outcomes. And so, just in some recent programs that we've run in oncology, we were able to keep in one case fifty percent more patients on the medication compared to a control group uh, at twelve months on therapy, which is mm -hmm. an, enormous. And then, just very recently, another oncology drug from a different company we saw a 70% more patients still on therapy at month 11. And so, you wow. know, the, the power of real-time monitoring and real-time connections mm -hmm. to care, mm -hmm. uh, it really has an impact on patients. And, um, and I, I don't think it's the technology that's having an impact on patients. I think it's the technology giving the healthcare system the information they need to know which patients need help today. Yeah. Um, I think that's the promise of this type of technology um, because you know, our, our platform, a smartphone app, is not going to change behavior. But your pharmacist calling you might, your doctor calling you might, yeah. your doctor saying, hey, come in, I see you're having problems with the medication, and then having a real conversation with you about why it's important to take and dealing with your affordability issues. You know, people can change people's behavior. And I think that's what our platform really enables. Yeah. No, I think uh, there is this amazing sort of triangle between, you know, the the technology that spins off this data, the analysis of it, working out what needs to happen, and then that ability to either nudge a patient uh, up close with a bottle or to actually bring in a human and uh, and have a human-to-human -human conversation that uh, can provide that right motivation. Uh, so. Yeah, that's cool. Um, in terms of the, uh, you know, when you think about sort of clinical trial type applications versus, you know, because I know one of the big costs for pharma has always been, you know, getting enough people into a trial. And one of the challenges has been they make an assumption about the adherence that's going to occur during that trial. And that drives up the need for more participants. So are you starting to see some some interest from pharma in, in using these in a trial situation so that there are less uh, enrollees needed for the trial? Or? We are actually, yeah. Just recently, we've now done, um, we've, we're on our second clinical trial. We did a small one last year and then are doing a larger one now with patients in the US and Europe, diabetes actually, uh, mm -hmm. through IQVIA, who's been mm -hmm. a great partner to us. Mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah, one of the things we realized is that the products we have on the market now are, are bottles. So that mm -hmm. you, the patient is generally getting a refill once a month transferring right. the medication into our bottle, mm -hmm. which in a post-approval setting is is mostly fine. Mm -hmm. But with um, in clinical trials, especially earlier stage ones, the, the stability of the medication has not been established. Mm -hmm. And there are very carefully constructed supply chains to randomize patients and mail the right 
meds to the right study center or that now increasingly the patient's home. And the idea that patients would then take them out of these hermetically sealed bottles, the pills, mm. and transfer it to another one, just it's uh, that makes getting innovation adopted quite a bit harder. Let's put it that way. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we have a new product coming out in a couple of months, uh, which is a smart cap. It's very much like our bottle. It has a little mm. screen. I don't have one here because it's still in manufacturing, but mm. it'll go over the top of an existing bottle. Um, still have reminders. Uh, it's got a little screen so you can actually handle complicated, complicated titration cases, which is very important when patients start the med. Um, and uh, and the feedback we're getting is that that will be uh, more e- much easier to adopt in clinical trials because there's just no we're not touching the med anymore. It's just no issues of stability to, to be dealt with at all. That's very cool. Yeah, and it's a great example of how it's not something you'd anticipate, right? That that would have been an objection for use in trials and and then when you get into it and you discover that sort of thing that's when you get those insights and and the shifts in uh, product direction that will enable you to help that market and get that product market fit that, that uh, can that's, that's exactly right yeah so we're so we're very hopeful about that opening up uh, additional clinical trials for us and and of mm-hmm. course there are a number of medications on the market that do have an fda label saying they should not be removed from their original container so we have um, mm-hmm. our launch partner is actually one of our current pharmaceutical company partners uh, for the product, and they have such a label. They've wanted to work with this brand, has wanted to work with us for a long time. It's quite a big brand, uh, and they'll be able to now because we're again we're not touching the med, and and I think that'll open up other distribution channels for us too. Because pharmacies mm-hmm. are great partners, partially because in the U.S. they have the legal right to repackage medications right. for the patient's health, which is actually not common around the world. It turns mm-hmm. out in Europe mm-hmm. they can't they can't actually do that, um, but in the U.S. they can, and so that'll let us work I think more more directly with payers and PBMs. And others who've been interested in working with us, but have just felt uncomfortable recommending a different medication container. Yeah, yeah, that's a, absolutely the case. I think very cool. Uh, well, that's exciting stuff. So, um, in terms of recommendations for someone getting a start in the industry, would you what would you uh, suggest? Having uh, done many things in the space, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I, I don't know if my career. Tra- trajectory has been really typical, but I, I will say that I've, I've learned a lot more, uh, much more quickly in my smaller company jobs mm-hmm. than I have in my bigger company jobs. I think big companies have gotten really good at just systematizing things and it, it can be a great way to start. Like I think mm-hmm. I was really glad to have started at at mm-hmm. in my youth. They had great training programs, great support for education and just great to see the infrastructure there. But I, you know, for me, at least after th- you know two or three years, it was time to go do something else. And um, I did it the hard way, but I think Find a young and growing company, um, maybe after you've you know worked at a bigger place and gotten your core skills down, and join that company. And uh, and you, if you're good, you'll find the opportunities for advancement and really just knowledge creation for yourself are much higher than they would be in a, a larger, more structured environment. Yeah, hundred percent agree with that. That's definitely been my experience too. So uh, I think sometimes people have a little comfort from having that big name on the resume, but uh, wow, the learning really does come in the, in the small companies. So. Yeah, and it's not never a bad thing to go, you know, start your career in a big company and then advance in a number of smaller companies and maybe even go back to a bigger company. Yeah, and I did that a couple times and uh, worked out it worked out well. Awesome, cool. Any uh, podcast or book recommendations for the audience? Anything you found? particularly useful, helpful? You know, um, probably not right now in healthcare, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, I tend to work a lot, and so I tend to do my reading outside of uh, outside of healthcare. But um, 
Uh, one one book I read recently that just blew my mind was uh, it's a history book called uh, Britain After Rome, and it's about oh. the collapse of society in uh, in Roman Britain. And um, oh. you know, it just it's just fascinating because we it, it was a, a version of like that sort of dystopian future that we all mm-hmm. fear sometimes, and you forget how much technology is around us at all times, and when the skills to make that technology go away. You know, Rome was a very advanced society, and and medieval Britain was much less so, um, and so. Uh, people forgot how to make stone buildings and you know, build certain kinds of wells and you know certain kinds of irrigation, and all of a sudden population collapsed and uh, no written records and just it's a uh, it's a scary thing to imagine. Oh, that's uh, that sounds really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Always, uh, my dad's a historian, and uh, he's uh, always reminding me how uh, many of the things that happened to us uh, have happened before. We're not that unique, special, and different than uh, generations that came before us. Yeah, so. That's right, and yeah. it's it's always a big argument because everyone always thinks things are getting worse, but by any normal historical standard, things are better than they've ever been for almost yeah. everybody. Yeah, in absolutely. In humanity, absolutely. Cool. Um, if folks want to uh, connect with you online, where would you uh, recommend they uh, they they do that? Uh, LinkedIn is is great, uh, and or uh, just come to the Hair Tech website. We've got a form you can fill out, and people actually read the uh, inquiries, and we get back to people. Awesome. Yeah. Are you guys uh, hiring at the moment? Looking for additional folks to. Always, you know, always looking for life sciences sales folks. Uh, it's a it's a very difficult market um, to, to hire in. We're always looking for data scientists, good engineers. Uh, product has been a, a challenging area for us to hire in. We've got a great head of product who was head of product that uh, patients like me and and uh, oh, therapeutics. Um, so just an incredible guy. But um, but yeah, just finding the, the those young, hungry product managers is always a challenge. Absolutely. Oh, that's a great one. Sounds like people can go to the website and uh, see what those opportunities are. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you, Chris. It's really been fun to chat with you and catch up and uh, excited to hear about all of the cool things you guys are doing at Heatech. So, uh, yeah. And, and to the audience, thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you got something of value from the episode. Uh, if you did, please don't forget to review Sombre Health Podcast on your favorite streaming service. It really helps others to find and enjoy the show. Thank you, everyone. Thanks.